Hey, it's Rick Booth from Intrepid Artists International, and you're listening to Talking Blues. I would presume that you're a big music fan. This is why you're in this business. Tell me how music came into your life. Um, when I was about nine years old, my um, my godmother gave me, uh, Emily Williams gave me a Elton John's Greatest Hits. That that pretty much did it right there. And then I, by by 1978, when I was uh, 13, I started going to concerts. Uh, the first concert was the Doobie Brothers. Um, and I, I I couldn't get enough. You know, I, I went to uh, that between 78 and 79, I think I saw the, the Doobie Brothers, Earth, Wind & Fire, the Commodores, and uh, uh, the Jackson 5. Um, and they were, you know, they were, I'm guessing when I saw the Jackson 5, 1979, if I was uh, 14, Michael was probably 19 years old, something like that. Um, it, they were they were amazing. They all had froze like this. <laughs> they came dressed in, um, they were dressed in tin soldier outfits and danced their ass off. The same with the, the Commodores and the and Earth, Wind and Fire. Um, you know, three real, I mean, not that the Doobie brothers aren't iconic, they're iconic in their own way, but just three of the, you know, early on crossover black bands, um, that were, you know, funk and rock and little, had something, a little, little something for everybody. Did you ever play in, play music? No, nah, man. No, nah, that's, that's, I tried. Um, I, I gave it a try a few times. I, I'm not, that's not in the cards for me, unfortunately. <laughs> I would love did... to play, man. I mean, you know, just if I could sit around, not to go tour, I have no desire to do something like that, but I would love to be able to play guitar and or play piano. Um, but I, no, I, I give good phone, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you love music, yeah. but... When, when you went to college, you went for sociology, I believe. Uh, well, that was the, the path that I saw to graduation. I don't know that there was really a... My dad was in the hardware business. And um, we were kind of a, a, a Richie Cunningham type family. Happy day. <laughs> um, you know, I was supposed to go in the hardware business, which I did for three years. And it really just didn't work out. Uh, you know, my... Uh, it's not easy working with your dad. And, uh, you know, one day I, I, I called him with, um, the nightly numbers. It was nine o'clock at night. And he says, you know, I think it's time you go find another job. And I said, I think you're right. And I left. And that was, that was the end of that, um, into the hardware business. And I got into the music business. So, uh, but my dad had told me, you know, you need to go get a college degree. I don't really care what it is. You need to go get a college degree. And I was, uh, um, I was going to be a psych major. I was, I think two courses, a senior seminar and a, and a course away from a psychology major. And, um, the, the guy that was teaching the, the senior seminar, he, you know, everybody was failing. So I, I you know, I, I was like, I'm certainly not going to be in the small percentage that passes it. So I, I switched over sociology. Um, that guy actually, he, he just passed away. That doctor that was failing everybody, he just passed away recently, but he was featured on 60 Minutes a few years ago. He did a lot of work with dogs and stuff. And um, Dr. Pilly was his name. I don't remember many professors, but he intimidated me. So I, I, I left that building, went over to the, um, to the sociology building. It was, um, it was a little bit easier. Okay, so... I managed to I managed to do fill out all my sociology requirements in in a senior year in a summer school pretty much. <laughs> so you knew you were going to work for your dad. This was yeah. this this was a, was a, plan. a known plan. It was, however, um, I was a uh, in the Sigma Alpha Epsilon fraternity, and I had a number of fraternity brothers, and, and one in particular 
that used to tell me all the time, you're going to be a booking agent. <laughs> I would go, well, you know, that I'm not, cause that's not what I'm going to do. That's not in the cards. That's not what my, the path that my dad had chosen for me. But, so, uh, but you did have experience booking bands and working with bands at college. I did book, I did book bands in college. Um, yeah. And what, what was that experience like? And what, what did it teach you? Uh, just that I was good with them and I could speak the language. Um, you know, uh, I learned a lot of, you know, just band talk and stuff, uh, so to speak. And by the time I got, even though when I got out of school, I was still booking bands. I was booking bands in my backyard. So I, I would have, um, I would have a backyard bash every, uh, every year. And uh, that started before I actually got in the music business. So I had a friend here in town that whose who's dad uh, had a booking agency. And that's where I booked bands from. Um, and I had done it in college. So I was like, well, if I can pull off parties in college, well, I can pull them off at my house. <laughs> and I did for a while, man. But those, are, those, those days are long gone now, sadly. So your dad says... Maybe it's time for you to leave the hardware business. Do you automatically think I'm going to go book bands again? Or what, what, is, what are you thinking? Like, what is your future at that point? At the time, I was 25 years old. And it was right around the holidays, if I recall. And I, I, was, I, I was an angry young man, first of all. Um, you know, I was, I was angry with him. And uh, it was all his fault. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. Uh, now it was, um, you know, it was just one of those things. I, 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 I took a few months off. Um, I had a little bit of money stashed and, um, I, CDs were popular at the time, you know, that was, uh, the, like 1989. So I bought up a lot of CDs. I bought up a lot of good music at the time. Uh, and then once I had spent my money on buying up CDs, um, I needed to go out and find a job. So I called my buddy and uh, I remember the words to the, I, I said, how'd you like to have the uh, best booking agent you've ever had before? I can, I can sell anything. And he set me up with an interview with his dad. And then I went to work for hit attractions was the name of the regional agency, booked a lot of college stuff and, you know, mainly cover band, college cover bands. Yeah. Um, you know, we booked some original stuff. I mean, I, I, I can remember going up and, on a trip with one of the other agents and up to, uh, university of Virginia, we booked widespread panic up there. Um, I think for $3,000. <laughs> um, I actually, uh, at the time I was there, I wanted to pull in, you know, a big, some kind of bring something to the table. And, uh, my sister turned me on to some friends of hers from Columbia, South Carolina, a guy named Darius Rucker and Mark Bryan. Um, from Hootie and the Blowfish. Right. And uh, I went down to, to see Hootie, and I remember Darius telling me that, uh, well, you can book us, but we're not going to sign exclusive with anybody because we're going to make it big. And I, was, I just laughed. I was like, they were a, they were a, a, a good little cover band. I, I saw them um, in a, a, a shithole um, <laughs> called the Cockpit in Columbia, South Carolina there weren't 10 people in there. Uh, and it was small. It was the middle of the summertime. They weren't mic'd up very well and they played REM covers. And, uh, but I, I, you know, I, and I, I, you know, five years later, I get about, you know, about five years later was when they, they blew up and sold 14 million records. But, uh, so that, yeah, I was, Going into the music business, it was always in the back of my head, but it, it would never, I, I was a, a conservative type guy. I, I was, I was comfortable going to work in the hardware business. That's what I'd grown up around. That's what I knew. So, um, taking me out of my comfort zone, um, you know, I just let the, the adrenaline just kind of kicked in and, and I, and everything else kind of came to, uh, worked out. I, I, I went to work for a company called Hit Attractions, and um, 
they were probably, they've been in business like 35 years, but they were probably on their last leg. Not the best. Uh, they didn't handle their money very well. And uh, they had written me a couple of bad checks and I just saw things coming and I went and packed my bags in the middle of the night and I left. And uh, for about three months, I went to work on what I called the chain gang. I was mowing industrial properties and lawns and stuff and uh for this company and i was at the double door inn a famous blues bar here in charlotte uh, was rest in peace um and you know this guy from boston steve heck came up to me from uh, a company called piedmont talent and he had just moved down here and he's like uh, you still looking for a job and i i'd showed him my my knuckles. I had, um, taken the, the mower, big industrial mower, and it's got gas on this side. And I, I, you know, I had the gas down and I was going down this privacy fence and all of a sudden, man, I just raked my knuckles along the privacy fence all the way down. And I couldn't take them off the gas cause they were on the gas, you know, holding the gas down and it didn't me here. So I, um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm looking for a job. And, um, so I, I went to work for Steve at Piedmont talent for four and a half years, close to five years. So when you were doing, when you were working with hit attractions, did you love what uh -huh. you did? Like, did you think this is what I should be doing? Um, I was so used to structure that maybe it was a little bit out of my element because my dad was a really big stickler for being in on time and doing this, that, and the other. And, you know, I'd be in at the office there and nobody would be in. And I, I really, uh, I, I was used to structure. So that part of it, I didn't, I didn't like, but I was really having a good time going and seeing bands and, um, you know, being out and about and, and, and yeah, I've, with the music, I always felt like I was in my element. Um, like I said, in college, I, I kind of learned to speak the language, so to speak. And, uh, so I, I felt very comfortable. Um, even though, again, it was a little bit out of my element going in the music business was a little bit taking a walk on the wild side and going out where there was, you know, working for my dad, there was a bit of a net, but there was no net. Um, so, uh, I had to get it right. And when I had to quit that first job, that was a bummer. I mean, you know, I, I wanted to work in there really bad, but I, I knew that um, what I was seeing going on behind the scenes, it wasn't, it wasn't a good, good thing. So when you joined Piedmont, what did you learn about the business that you might not have known before? Um, you mean, what did I learn at Piedmont? Yeah. Um, or was it same as the previous job, just a different company? No, the previous job, uh, it, it attractions was more of a, um, you know, they, I, we had offices and everything. Steve was just getting started down here and I was, I, I spent a lot of time working out of his house, um, which was not really optimal. And keep in mind, you know, like I'm currently working from my house. However, Intrepid's had offices uptown or in Midtown for, 26 years we moved out a year ago this month working today from home and working in 1991 from home or 1990 1990 i guess you know that was 31 years ago it was different i mean you know we had a we had um a, a fax machine with the you know the carbon reel on it the carbon paper right. We had a, um, a matrix printer. We had DOS on the computer. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah. There was no internet. Um, I had two phone lines. You know, it was, it, uh, and uh, there was no email. The only way, for instance, to get like a message from Europe, you know, because you didn't want to play long distance. <laughs> um, you know, you get a message on the, on the, uh, the fax machine on that came over on the scroll of carbon paper. And, 
you know, it was, it was very primitive. Um, you know, looking back, um, I, we had everything we needed then. I mean, I just, at that point, I just picked up the phone all the time. Then I knew I was good at that. I remember getting to Piedmont talent and telling Steve, just lay off of me for three months. Let me do my thing. Let me get, let me know people. And once I get to know folks on the, on the phone, I'll have all of them doing business with me. You know, that was my, that was my kind of my theory was that if, if, um, just, just let me get to know people. And once I get to know people, I'll be in no worries. And that's, and, and, and he did. And that's what happened. Okay. So those people that you, you're trying to get to know are mainly venues and festival organizers. Is that who it is? Or are you also talking about bands and management? Um, well, venues were the ones that I, that was my first thing. And I was new to the blues. Um, you know, I remember, uh, I grew up listening to classic rock and I was new to the blues. I remember coming in and Steve says, um, what are you, what are you listening to? What do you listen to? And I said, everything. And I, I always, you know, you're asking me what I remember for or what I learned. Well, this was one that I've, I've always remembered. And that's that, uh, you know, he said, I hate that answer. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, you don't listen to everything. What do you listen to? And I said, well, I listen to classic rock and I listen to some, you know, a little bit of jazz. And, um, you know, I don't know what I made up at the time. I probably said blues, but I, I didn't really, my, my, uh, you know, recollection of blues at the time. I, I remember seeing Albert Collins, uh, play with George Thurgood at, uh, live aid. I knew, I knew Bonnie Raitt and BB King and, uh, I knew Dr. John's, um, right place, wrong time. But I never, I, I didn't really know. I had no idea. I knew Buddy Guy. But Buddy was, you know, this was in 1990. And Buddy got at that Grammy, I think, in 91 for uh, Damn Right I Got the Blues. So he had really, where, you know, the people in the know and the blues people knew Buddy. Buddy was certainly not a household name, you know, at the time. Uh, he was playing small clubs and still paying his dues until he had the damn right I got the blues and, you know, God, I don't know how many, I've got a bunch of Grammys and stuff. So how important was it back then and maybe even today to know the genre in your business? I mean, Steve obviously hired you knowing that you might have not been a huge blues fan. Did that matter at all? Uh, it, It didn't for me because I was determined to learn it. So I, and I did, you know, but um, you you can't you can't fake it uh, very long. I mean, you know, people will if you don't understand what they're talking about, and that goes for speaking the band language too that I was talking about. You know, I speak the language, and that's that. You know, they did people in the bands they detect you, and if you're not if you're not somewhat one of them, I don't think they you know if. You, you just don't associate with them. Uh, it's, it's hard to, it's just, it's hard to communicate with anybody when you're an outsider. I mean, I, I have to know the genre pretty much up and down from the, the history, which I've never been good at history, but I'm, I, you know, I do, you know, I, I've, I've definitely studied. I got my just books and books and books of blues stuff here. That's a good one right there. Mm-hmm. Um, probably getting a little outdated by now, but it, it's, it's always been a good one. You know, being able to talk to, to buyers and knowing what you're talking about, um, that, that certainly helps. And, you know, this is not a, a mainstream genre. So a lot of these musicians, you have to learn my guys, you know, when they come in, I, I used to make them, I used to test my guys. I mean, you'd have to take a test before I put you on the phone of, Who's this? What kind of guitar does he play? Where did he, where did he, who did he play with before? Um, you know, um, and who is that person? And, and cause you're going to run into, you know, if I call and they say, well, uh, a lot of times, I mean, you know, we're on a, a first name basis with artists when I'm talking to buyers and I could call somebody and say, well, you know, um, I'd like to 
I'm looking for October 29th, and they're going, oh, I've got Marsha in there that night. Well, they're talking probably about Marsha Ball. You just you just pick up more and more and more, and the, the longer you're in it, you know, my guys, I think Kevin uh, Hopkins and Jake Lankite, my, two of my agents, you know, they came into it through the jam business, and they were into widespread panic when they got in here. And for whatever reason, the widespread panic bunch has always – kind of connected with the blues bunch. I, I They know the music. They know, I, I don't know, it, it was easy for Jake and Kevin to come in too and, and learn, uh, you know, learn the music. Uh, and I made them. I was really tough on those guys. My younger guys, I've not, I haven't been as tough on, but Jake's been with me for 16 years and Kevin for 14. And I was, um, I was more of a tyrant, I guess, back then. Can I ask... And, and, and if this is this is something you don't want to talk about, we don't have to talk about. But what made you decide to start your own business and leave Piedmont and start Intrepid Artists? Um, well, uh, honestly, uh, it was, you know, I really wanted to take some of the things that my dad had instilled in me and, and business-wise and run a business that way. I had seen a business that um, that I felt like I felt a little bit I was being held back, and we were working out of a house, out of a house, and it was just it was it was there were a few things that happened that I just didn't um, it it just didn't sit well with me, and um, you know I felt like I hate this term, but I felt like I'd been disrespected a little bit and, uh, or a lot. And I, I just, uh, felt like I'd been, was taken, being taken advantage of a little bit. So I, I, I thought that, and I also, you, you hear the way people are talked to and stuff and the music business, the stereotypical agent, the yelling and all that stuff and the slamming down phones. I, I just didn't really want to do that. I wanted to, I remember when I left and I wanted to have, what was really important to me was to have an office and then to put a family around me. And, uh, you know, I, it, I felt like, uh, you know, regardless of any job or anything, I didn't want, I didn't want to be the big bad boss either. I just wanted to be one of the guys and come in and, and, you know, do my thing and work hard but I felt it ought to be on some neutral grounds and not at somebody's house. Um, and, and I felt that would help my employees bloom. So if I was to ask you, when you started this company on your own, the intrepid artists and what that vision would have been for somebody who knows nothing about your business. And I said to you, Rick, what, what is your business and what do you do? And what is the goal of intrepid artists? How would you answer that? Well, looking back now, I mean, I've, I've long surpassed anything I ever had hoped for. Um, you know, there, there's not that I don't have goals. Um, you know, there's uh, I, I definitely have um, have other goals still. But as far as like I, I at the time, I think all I wanted to do was survive. I don't think it was a matter of like trying to become the best or anything like that. You know, I, I, I know that when I opened the business that the adrenaline was ridiculous. I mean, you know, I, there was, once I got going, I, I didn't feel like I could fail. And I had a, I had a couple of, um, my first employee, Barry Whitback, Barry helped me a lot and get, get ready and prepare computer wise. I didn't know anything about computers. I didn't, I didn't take any files or anything from Piedmont. I took some notes. I mean, like I took notes and then took them with me. Um, but that I didn't take anything. In fact, our calendars weren't on computer. They were in a, um, they were just paper calendars. And when I left Piedmont, I came back the next day to get my stuff and all of that had been taken. So it, the company took it back. I had all my notes in it, so I had to um, redo my whole calendar from my from my head what we had in there, which 
back then I could do that. I don't think I can tell you what's on my calendar now, but, um, uh, but back then that's how I did it. Getting back to your question. I, I just wanted to get out, get away and be somewhat success, be somewhat successful and respected that, um, perception was a lot to me. I, I wanted to, I didn't want to fail. I'm terrified of failure. So that was, that's probably the, the main thing is I didn't want to fail. And I, I, I think I, we, we surpassed that a while ago. And, and I've been, you know, the Gulf war, desert storm, nine 11, the pandemic. I'm still here. Lots of hurricanes. Uh, and, and, you know, all that stuff, uh, I think people that, you know, go to work in the the big glass buildings uptown and whatever, they don't, uh, they don't realize what a, you know, every time those things, it's one of those things happen, man, the music business, it, it just comes crashing down on you. But this, this past year and seven, eight months, that's the one that's uh, certainly been more trying than than any of the rest, any hurricane, any, you know, natural disaster or, um, war or, you know, anything. I do want to talk about that a little bit, but I still want to go back as when you started the business, what is the territory you covered? Do you think of yourself as an, um, a company that's going to represent artists nationally, internationally, uh, internationally. So, so from the very beginning, it's, internationally well that was one thing i wanted to be able to do was more international but um again the internet got going in about 93 94 but it was very very limited there wasn't we didn't have internet at at, um at piedmont talent i left in december of 94 and um you know there was no internet we were one of the first intrepid was one of the first um one of the first uh, companies to get a website, and that was 1996. I wanted I wanted to mold myself after Rosebud and the David Hickey Agency. Both of them had uh, David. I don't think had, but maybe five or six bands, and Rosebud probably had 20, 25. They were both very small. I wanted six bands, and that. But then I found that I had to expand in order to get like into the Pacific Northwest, I needed a Pacific Northwest band up there in order to get in the New York area. I needed somebody. And I, I, so I tried to strategically place bands around the country. Um, and I, I, you know, my first two national, I, I had Jimmy Thackeray and the drivers and chubby carrier and the Bayou swamp band were my two. And then I had two, a regional blues band, um, Skeeter Brandon and Highway 61, who Skeeter was fantastic. Um, he's not with us anymore. And uh, a, a local local regional band that we did pretty well with and moved up and down the East Coast for a while, and that was the uh, Rank Outsiders. They were kind of a alt-country uh, band from Charlotte. And then, you know, I, I found out pretty quickly that um, – I, I always knew that when I first got in this business, the people in the blues like young blood. I, I, I felt like people were very, very, very accepting of me and nice to me. And um, I think it was because they wanted to draw young blood into their business. Um, but so I, I, I connected with people right quick. And um, I was uh, amazed at all the people that called when I left Piedmont. It called and said, "Hey, I want to, I want to throw you a bone. I want to throw you. You tell me who you have. We'll get a couple of bands on our events." And I, it was, I, I was, I was prepared. We came out of the, we came out of the gates very fast, and um, really, you know, I haven't really ever looked back. Uh, I had two agents that were with me for, I think, uh, ten and seven years combined and about 16 years ago they both left at almost the exact same time and that tested my mental fortitude 
But but again, once once when that happened, my adrenaline kicked in and uh, it, it everything was put back in place. I, I brought in um, you know two, then a third agent to replace them, and um, you know within a, a few months, shockingly, we were kicking ass. <laughs> so how does that work? Do you- do you go out and seek bands or do bands come and seek you? Both. For some reason, it, it, I mean, I, occasionally I'll get one out of the blue that goes, you know, that'll just call and I'll say, hell yeah, I want to work with you. Um, usually, you know, you run into somebody on the road or whatever and, you know, they. I think for the most part, they call me, but I, uh, you know, I also... I, I put a bug in people's ear, you know, if I see something that I, I really like, I'm not much of a poacher. I don't go after other, you know, other agencies, bands or anything like that. You know, if I see somebody I like, I'll let them know, but you know, I've been good at developing talent over the years. Um, and we pick up a lot of it. We pick up a lot of young bands. If it's a young band, it's probably somebody that I've gone out and found somewhere. If it's a band that's been around, they probably, you know, know my reputation and have called me. So that's, uh, so it works both ways, but I'd say generally they call us. I've got my hands full and I always believe, you know, I, you know, I, I like to take care of the people that are, that take care of me and the people that are already on the roster. So while I, I do look for new talent, I don't like try to like let that define my day. You know, I got a lot going on. So I presume it's a it's a business of trust and credibility that that whatever you offer to the venues and your clients, you have to be able to deliver, which also means that the artists that you work with and represent have to have a certain level of professionality. Right. How do you know that? Is that just reputation you just track? I, I think so. I don't, I, you know, I don't have... Um... I don't really have any troublemakers right now. I mean, I, I've I've had troublemakers. I, I've had people that walk in and there's something wrong every night. But for the most part, you know, most of the bands on the blues circuit, they're pretty professional. I mean, the way they handle themselves. Um, you know, I, I don't run into that as much with that. You know, I, I don't run into that period with my bands. Uh, knock on wood. I mean, all of them have been, uh, they're, they're good people and they're for the most part, very professional. Um, and, and I, I, I know that and the buyers know that. And, you know, you talk about your, your reputation and trust and this, that, and other. And, uh, I think that's probably what intrepid rides on more so than, Man, I, I get a lot of bands. We get a lot of bands on events because of intrepid artists. Uh, and, and that's, you know, I, that's not, that's just a fact. Uh, you know, we've been, when you've been doing this stuff as long, Intrepid's been around for 27 years and, and I've been doing it for 31. I, I, I can count on my hands the number of times I've had to call and apologize, you know, uh, for sending somebody to do something, you know, that I, I, I should, I'm sorry that this happened. It, it, you know, my bands generally deliver. And, um, so, you know, I think that that helps when you're booking a festival and the guy says, Hey, what do you got? They trust me. So, you know, a lot, sometimes it's the, it's the band they call, they call and want to book a band. And sometimes it's Rick, what are you, what are you going to send me this year? And, um, I think we've got a pretty good reputation of, you know, taking care of people. How long did it, you said, you know, after a few years you were kicking ass, I presume at that point you knew that you had made the right choice, but how long did you, did it take for you to know things were working and, and intrepid artists were where you wanted to be? Well, I think I was always very nervous for the first 10 years. I mean, up until about 2005, I mean, I, I, that's when my, my guys left me. And then I just didn't know what was going to happen when they left or if they left or this, one of them was a surprise. And one of them, I kind of felt like it was coming and both of them were hard workers, good guys, 
but I, I, you know, I, I just saw it coming. And, but that was at that point when I made that change, uh, and when I got my guys in place, you know, they, they did a good job. I, I remember the, the first Jake Lankite was the first agent that came in and to replace one of my guys. And he, uh, you know, Jake got here on a week that I take off every year. The PGA tournament is here in, in town and it used to be right across the street from my house. <laughs> so I would take off and go to the golf tournament. And I was so stressed over what was going on. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to change my routine. I'm still going to take this time off. I need it badly. Jake was coming in the office that week and, you know, I had the office. I, I, I came in before I left and, and I said to him, I'm, I'm like, you got all your calendars in and, and he didn't have ready what I told him to have ready. And I'm like, I'm a, this is like Tuesday or when I'm going I'm to be back in the office on Monday morning. You need to have your shit in the pot. You need to, you need to be ready to go. I'm not kidding. We need to be ready to go. And I never, never had to say a thing to him again. That was, uh, that was all it took. Um, and, uh, you know, once I got Kevin Hopkins in the office, uh, Kevin's was, Kevin was a jam band guy and he liked to, he'd sell, he could get dates like crazy, but he would put, you know, they were cheap dates and stuff. And I'm like, man, nobody likes to go on a cheap date. <laughs> no, I, I, they, they were just, uh, I was like, man, our bands don't play for that. You can't do it. So I'd make him go back and I'd make him go back and I'd make him go back. And, and Kevin now is one of the best agents I've ever seen. I mean, he's, he's a beast. Um, so, you know, he, he gets it. But when, when those two guys got, you know, they caught on and got it by about, you know, I think we turned a corner in 2005. It was different. Uh, I had an off year in 2005, a little bit, I think. And then ever since that, we went up every year until, um, the pandemic so let's talk about the pandemic because yours is a business that would have been greatly affected like ridiculously affected and i presume yeah. you're still at a point where you're trying to recover from it there's still a lot of unknowns um what's the status now where are you at um well let me take you back a year and a half year and seven eight months uh i had just come off of two back-to-back -back cruises. I had been on the Rock Legend. I'd been on the Joe Bonamassa cruise and then the Rock Legends cruise. And people were weary of coronavirus uh, at the time. You know, uh, getting on those cruises, I kind of felt like we were the last ships out, out in it back. And, and I, I went back-to-back. -back. So I, stay, I don't even think I... Maybe I did come home for and then flew back down. Anyway, I think I got back on March 2nd uh, into the office on, you know, March 2nd, which was a Tuesday. And I think we had one cancellation that week. And it was in like Austin, Texas. And I think Austin City Limits Festival had talked about, because they had a little spread down there, they were, they were going to pull the plug. And... So I got a call and we got, we lost an Austin, Texas date. And I'm like, oh, just don't make a big deal out of it. Just let them do it and just cooperate. Okay. So we did. And then the first of the next week, we, we lost one up around Portland, Oregon. If I recall somewhere in Oregon or Washington, but that's where that nursing home was that got the first cases. And so they tripped out a bit, bit. And after that, it was like the whole roof just caved in. Um, I, I think we um, we canceled about $3 million worth of dates in 10 days. It, it, it wiped out everything. And then at that point, certainly we didn't know what we know now. So you go and uh, you try to book everything and rebook everything. And we wanted to stay ahead of things. So I, I I'd already told the guys... I don't, people are going to start, here's, here's the case. Everybody's going to be kumbaya for a few weeks. And then if we don't figure this thing out, we're going to have people start jumping off buildings and, you know, panic. 
I was like, the one thing I'm begging you guys, and this is what I told my office, I will take care of you. Just don't panic. Please do not panic. And they did a really good job, man. We had to move, move tour after tour after tour after tour, rebook. Um, and everything really, for the most part, last year was just canceled. I mean, it, and postponed. We got into this year. And coming into the office in January and February, um, we left our offices in October of last year. I was working from home and coming into the, my office every morning, I'd get up, come look at my email. There was nothing in it and there was no reason to sit here and try to create work. At a certain point, it became where there's no work out there. So... All of my people had been furloughed. I was the only employee and I wasn't getting a check. Two of my employees stayed on and just worked without pay. One of them was doing odd jobs and one of them um, had stashed away a little money. And uh, they, they stayed and um, they did what they could to help keep things alive. Again, by December, January, February, there wasn't much of anything alive, but, but one of my people, and, and I, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm just not gonna mention names because of the, they were furloughed, but I mean, he, he just kept booking and booking and booking, even though the tours were getting canceled. It was like, it had almost gotten to a certain point where you're just telling him, you know, man, what are you doing? Um, but, the fact that he kept doing it, I would say probably at the end of February, beginning of March, there was this light that shined through one day and, you know, we booked a few dates and it sounded like, you know, things were going to get better. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden the, you know, the doors open up again and they're at half capacity or whatever, but there there's, there's work to be had. And, uh, we had bands out there ready to go. Their tours were booked. They were ready to go. And keep in mind, this wasn't all bands. These were people that wanted to work. These were people that really never, never wanted to stop or needed money, whatever. Um, and, uh, but they were ready to go. And then, you know, the people that were calling our phones started ringing and, you know, friends would say, what are you booking? Like third and fourth quarter and, and next year. And I'd be, I'm no, I'm booking this weekend because people didn't have any talent. They didn't have anything booked. So they were going to go open up their club and they needed something to put in there. So we got on the books very quickly. Since then we were full steam ahead until the beginning of August when jazz fest announced that they were going to have to pull the plug. And I, I think that sent everybody into a bit of a, a frenzy, uh, a, a panic situation. Well, if they're going to pull it, then, well, first of all, they're a huge festival that people come from all over the world to go to in New Orleans. Um, and secondly, they're partners with AEG Live. And, you know, I won't get into it, but I think a lot of, you know, I think AEG Live had a certain amount of time that to give before they could pull the plug and without them co it costing them anything. And they waited till that last minute and they pulled the plug. But then... I saw people start canceling dates again. And, uh, you know, so once again, a lot of the early spring festivals this year got bumped again to next year, 2022. Most of the summer festivals played out. Some of the late summer, early fall festivals have been canceled again and moved to 2022. And there's definitely been a sign of, the last, uh, the last six weeks anyway, of, of low ticket sales, not just my bands, not just blues, but all genres. I, I think the people are just hesitant to buy them, you know, especially walk up crowds. Those don't, those have not been successful. If you've had tickets on sale for a long time and people purchased advanced tickets, then, you know, those have been doing all right. Although, however, a lot of people um, don't know shows. I think if you're doing theater shows, you know, in the 1,500 to 3,000 seaters, you notice a lot of no shows. And uh, if you're doing club shows and you have a walk-up crowd, 
you're, you're noticing it at the box office. What has the last 18 months taught you personally? Um, a lot of stuff. I mean, I mean, I, if, I, I think there's so many people that I've looked at this as almost a blessing and, you know, maybe a, maybe a wake up call that when dealt lemons make lemonade and, uh, you know, I've had a couple of things both in the out, both with the office and outside my office that, you know, that's, that's the situation that I've been presented and, uh, you shouldn't panic in these situations. If everybody panics, you just got, and I know it's tough not to, man, there's days that I have that are just, you know, last Monday and Tuesday, I, I was ready to just quit it all. I, I don't even, it just, you know, but it's mostly dealing with when people panic and I have to deal with it. Um, you know, that's, I, I think in this, in these situations and tough times, you just got to try to steady the ship, cut back and conserve a little bit. Um, and try to, try to find something to learn from out of the whole thing. Uh, you know, uh, I think not only the, the pandemic itself, but, you know, also everything we went through last year with the, um, the black lives matter movement, the insurrection, all that stuff, examine it and learn something from it. Um, and I, I think that uh, along with the, this business, we had a game plan early on what we were going to do. And, uh, you know, I, I talked to my folks and I, I like I said, I told don't panic. We'll work this out. And we came up with some ideas and stuff. My main thing was regardless of who I had to furlough, I wanted to make sure that their insurance was taken care of during the throughout. So, um, we held a benefit. All of my artists took part. I mean, they were, all of them were so generous and, uh, you know, we raised a, a good amount of money and we were able to pay our insurance from last, I guess that was in July, from July through April through March. So, you know, about nine months worth of insurance. Um, we, we raised the money to do that, which was, uh, insurance ain't cheap. <laughs> so, um, all of those things and, you know, learning to, that at any given moment, you know, your world can come crashing down. And I think a lot of it, it's, it's how you handle things, you know, are you, is, is your, the world's come crashing down on you. Um, is your glass half full or is it half empty? And it's, it's all on how you, I believe it's all on how you, you look at things. Um, and look, somebody that's sitting in a big old house and making millions of dollars and somebody that's, um, you know, struggling to pay their bills. Um, they're obviously two different situations, but I don't really know anybody in the music business that wasn't hit somehow pretty good. You know, a lot of the agencies closed down fired all their people, let them all go. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of musical chairs, but I was pretty proud that that we didn't get caught up in it. Tell me what you might have learned from your artists, because obviously it's a partnership. That 95% of them are resilient and tough, strong SOBs, man. I mean, that's, that's what I learned. Um, you know, again, a lot of them got out there and amped up their, their guitar lessons, for instance, or, uh, wrote music, collaborated, recorded, drove Uber, worked odd jobs. I, I can sit here and, and name names again, and I, but I'm not, I mean, it just, it, that, that it's amazing what some of them did. I, I'm so proud of them from the, from the ones that don't have a lot to the ones that, that do pretty damn well. Um, I, I had very few people that curled up and, 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 and woe is me. You know, I, it just didn't happen that way. Um, most of them got out and, and really 
did some things to make their careers better. And, you know, some of them toured, I will name, you know, Anna Popovich and, and Mike Zito hardly came off the road. They, they both wanted to earn a paycheck and, and, you know, they went out and, you know, walked through minefields. Um, and I, I commend them for that. I had others that were just, you know, raring to go, new album in hand, new songs, you know, all, all this stuff. And, uh, you know, really worked through the pandemic and made things just really, you know, did a, did a fantastic job of preparing themselves for, you know, when I, I kept telling people when it, when the coast is clear, you need to be ready to strike. I stayed in touch with all my artists. I, I wrote letters to them and, and, you know, um, group letters and encouraged them to keep their heads up. And, um, you know, this wasn't going to last forever. And, um, I mean, I, I think, I think next year is going to be, we're, we're, we're going to learn to live with this thing and, and it's, it's here to stay in some form or another. So I, I think we just have to learn from it. And, uh, you know, respect to others. I, I certainly, you know, throughout all this mess, I think respect is a is a huge respect and communication. It's a weird time because it's not like not everybody's opened up in Canada. You know, there are only certain things that are opened up. I and I I know you have some tours coming up in in Europe, and um, I know that there's a lot of festivals in the States and who knows what's going to happen in a month or two, but how do you navigate all, all those? Is it a daily thing? What do you think? Daily, daily. And it, it's, and it's thinking two and three steps ahead, ahead. Every festival these days has an extra addendum in it, has an extra liability clause, has a change in deposits, you know, everything, everything is different. And, you got to stay two, two, three steps ahead because, well, I'm, I'm going to give an example in, in April, um, you know, we'll be trying to do the Tampa Bay blues festival or the Jacksonville blues festival now for the third time or the new Orleans jazz fest in late April, early May, which we'll be trying. They've attempted four times now. Um, they bumped it to the fall twice and couldn't pull it off. You have to think, I've got all this, this, I'm going to route these people down there. I'm going to fly them down there, whatever. Well, what if it doesn't happen? What if they don't happen again? And you say, well, oh, it's, it's got to happen now. Well, it happened for the last three or four tries they've made two or three, two to three, two to four tries they've made. So I, I think that um, you have to think two steps ahead. If it doesn't happen, all my tours I'm, I'm doing differently. I'm not encouraging long, you know, long drawn out tours. Go, go do your, your Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and come home, go make a 10 day run and come home because all it takes is one, one mind to step on and it, it, your whole tour blows up. I mean, you know, if you've got a tour around and around a big festival and that's your anchor date. And for some reason that festival falls out, you know, I dealt with this a lot with, with Anna Popovich and um, Michael, Mike Zito back in when things were getting going again. And, or really early on, probably, I'd have to look on the calendar, but probably in the early spring of this year. And, um, you know, Chicago was one that would open up and close up. And uh, I remember Anna had a date or two, I think it was Anna, had a date or two booked in that area or that canceled on a tour. And I mean, it just punched holes big time in her tour where you lost your profit margin. I had that happen in, uh, actually with a, another buyer and uh, with, with Anna on the, the East coast and it was bumped and now it's been bumped again. You know, I think right now it's less about, worrying about catching the virus and more about the ticket sales and people are scared to come out. But yet if you cut on the television on Saturday or Sunday, the football stadiums are pretty full. I know it's weird. <laughs> well, I think also it's in an outdoor area. Um, it's a, you know, you, 
the perception is you see it on TV, everybody's safe, everybody's fine. I don't know. And, and you know, I think people are starting to feel more comfortable going to outside concerts and stuff like that. I think inside's still a bit of a um, sticky situation. You know, I, I, I they just don't want to get caught up in the, um, you know, in a, a small, you know, 250 seat blues bar. I, I, I think people are still a little bit hesitant on that. If we go back in time, can you tell me a moment with your business that after you started your own company, that you reached a point where you thought we made it? Or that there was a, a moment of success that you really appreciated? No, because I, I don't really feel like we made it. I mean, I don't think I'll ever feel that way. And, and I, and I, I, you know, there, again, there have been some, some great accomplishments uh, over the years when I, when my two guys left about the same time in 2005 and I filled their spots and, within a year we were better than ever that was that was that was an extremely gratifying um accomplishment i I felt like because i really it was a one-two that uh could have knocked me out but uh, again adrenaline just kicked in um and then you know um a lot of the stuff going on with eric gales has made me really proud um you know i helped to get eric sober and clean five and a half years ago now. And, and, uh, and he's been, you know, his career has just taken off. And, and so that, that's a real proud accomplishment of mine, uh, just to be a part of that. But I, I think, you know, getting through this pandemic and coming out on the other side and we're still here. Um, I, I think that's a thing, but as, as far as, you know, we've made it, being in my business, man, you just don't ever know what the next day is going to bring. I mean, I, I could have a million dollar artist call me up and want to come to Intrepid, or I could have a couple of artists call me up and tell me they don't want to be here anymore. And, and either, you know, so I don't ever, I don't ever take anything for granted. Um, things can change tomorrow. So, you know, I, I, I just don't take that for granted very much. Um, and and I'll, I don't think that I will ever be in a position to tell you I've made Yeah, maybe that was phrased incorrectly. No, no, the question was a great question. And, and in, you know, um, in a lot of other um, businesses, maybe, uh, you know, you could say, well, I've made it. I, I, you know, I, I think if you're a producer or something, um, you know, and you've produced a lot of top records, well, you could say you've made it. But in my business, things can change in a heartbeat and things that you take for things that you take for granted, you know, um, can can really can really change. I'm, I'm trying to I saw a statement online the other day. Um, but I, th- I think you, you answered my question in the way that like what, what were the highlights of your career when like the example you gave with Eric Gale? So, um, just just some of the accomplishments that you're really proud of. Right. I mean, uh, you know, um, shoot, I, I'm the, the, the pandemic brought out the best in all my artists. I mean, I, the best or the worst, however you want to look at it. I mean, again, I think everybody handled things differently, but most of them, there were some of them that I held their hand and others that, that I didn't need to do a thing. Um, but regardless the fact that we all came out of it on, on the, you know, together. Um, and most of my roster is up and working right now, pretty busy. I got texts from a few guys over the weekend, you know, going, uh, uh, I love you buddy. And this, that, and other, you know, just from some, because they're, they're announcing their fall dates and stuff and that. So, Man, I never did this for the money. <laughs> I, I'm not smart, but but that would have been really dumb. Um, I never did this for the money. Uh, I, I did it because I love music and um, and I've really, you know, enjoyed working with musicians and uh, 
it's it's just been it's been a fun ride man and i I hope that it's you know gonna keep on going uh as i said i i think we're gonna get back to work next year i i you know it may still be somewhat ugly and we may be wearing masks and having to show cards and this that and other but i i really think that you're not going to shut us down again and and i've got i hope not because you know the the effects that we we all have and are going to continue to suffer, I think for years to come from, you know, the isolation, my, my kids, I mean, you know, my, I've got a, I've got a freshman in college and uh, never went to a prom. Uh, I got a, um, you know, a 10th grader and, you know, they, they sat in their rooms for two years, a year and a half, uh, rather than going to school and being social and going to, school dances and sporting events and this, that, and other. So, uh, I, I think our kids are, are damaged from it. And I think adults, you know, um, how many people will ever go back to a conventional workspace? You know, I would have never, ever, ever worked from home. Uh, I, but I told you earlier in the conversation, uh, I need structure. And, uh, I didn't think that, um, you know, one thing about intrepid that I, I've, we have an advantage on every other agency and that's when you call my office and you'll get a you'll get a voice somebody's going to answer the phone if for some reason somebody doesn't it's either the off hours or um you know we're all tied up and have stepped away but somebody's going to answer your phone and speak to you um if you if you need to get with me on something you know you're going to be able to find it one way or another. You can track me down. Whereas another agency, you may call and you get the answer in the machine and you could get a call back or an email back or something in a few days. But, you know, we, my office has always prided ourselves on being a team and working as a team. And uh, so I think that, uh, you know, I didn't know if we could make it. The, when, they, when they had the lockdown last May or whatever, that was my first clue that my guys can handle this. Um, Cause we, it was the first time we had all worked from home. And then we went back to the office probably from like, uh, you know, maybe August, September and October or something, a couple months. And uh, when I, I realized that, you know, I was just running up a bill down there. There was no business coming in. We were just in there and quite frankly, there was nothing to do. So we, we came home and they've been working from home. We all got an office set up and uh, we we have our phone lines so anybody can pick up the phone when the phone rings. I can intercom them. It's just like we're in the office, except we're not. So I miss the banner um, with the guys. Uh, I miss my office manager, Michelle, yelling at all of us and telling us to shut up. <laughs> and uh, we've, we've been together now. I, You know, Michelle has been with me for uh, 20 years, right at 20 years, Jake's been with me for 16 and, and, and Kevin for 14. It's very much, um, we're very much like brothers and sisters. Um, we, we fight, we yell at each other. We don't mind telling the other one to, you know, shut the, you know, it's, uh, it, but, but when we work together, uh, the four of us apart are just four of us apart. But when we work together, it's the best team in the business. Nice to hear. And I can, I can tell based on what you've told me. Um, I know I have to wrap this up. How do you look back on this journey that you've taken? I should have gotten a psychology degree. <laughs> <laughs> I can sit here doing the same thing I do all day and I get paid a lot of money for it. Um, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's honest to God. That's probably the truth, man. I mean, I love talking to people and I love helping people when they're, you know, I'm a glutton for, for helping out folks. Um, and, and, you know, talking people off the ledge and, um, looking back on it, that might, might've been a smart thing to do. Um, but it, you know, I've loved my journey and I, I was not, you know, we can get into this another, another day, but, you know, as a kid, I really wasn't exposed to a, a lot of stuff. I was I, looking back. I was pretty sheltered 
getting in the blues business, getting in the music business opened my eyes, but getting in the blues business really opened my eyes that, you know, if you had asked me when I was 22, 24, 25 years old, uh, do you feel fortunate or I would probably have told you that, you know, um, sure, I'm good. I mean, you know, I, I, but I, but I didn't know, I didn't know the real world, so to speak. And I, I once I, you know, I, I feel extremely blessed for everything I have now. And, uh, you know, getting a deal with all the musicians I have and their families and their travel and just learning so much from them, you know, that it's given me a lot of joy. I mean, I, I, if I hadn't gotten in this business, you know, I would have never met the likes of, uh, of an Eric Gales or a Mike Zito or a Walter Trout, you know, there, there's a little Dickie Betts. Um, that was, you know, in 2003, four ish time period when I was working with Dickie, that was, that was a really good time. So, I mean, I, and, and meeting, you know, meeting so many people that are your, your heroes, so to speak, that I've just run into and had the opportunity to, to get to know or meet, um, you know, BB King, uh, Bonnie Ray, Steven Tyler, there, I can, I can go on and on. Les Paul, um, that that was, a, you know, those are type things that, you know, wow moments. Um, Bo Diddley, I mean, and I, you know, the, and especially when, um, you know, Dr. John is one of my favorites. You know, a lot of these people aren't with us anymore. So I look back as. Um, just very fortunate, very blessed, man. That's the way. Um, and when I use blessed, I'm not that much of a religious person. Just uh, I'm, a, I'm, I just feel very fortunate, man, that, that I'm sitting here and somebody, somebody wants to talk to me and and, and pick my brain. I, I, I mean, that's I'm, I'm humbled. Well, Rick, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate All it. All right, yeah, man.